Today's show is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. Start learning about topics ranging from history to psychology and many more. Try it for free by visiting thegreatcoursesplus.com slash quiet. And by Little Passports. Inspire your kids to learn about the world with a subscription to Little Passports. Quiet listeners can save 40% on their first month today with the promo code QUIET. Learn more at www.littlepassports.com slash quiet. This is Quiet, the Power of Introverts. I'm Susan Kane. If somebody doesn't believe in me, I, I can't believe in them. Hollywood, with its love of self-promotion, seems an unlikely place for a shy, introverted girl to find fame. But Molly Ringwald has never done things like other people. As the star of the John Hughes hits Pretty in Pink, Sixteen Candles, and The Breakfast Club, Molly made being a quiet teen not only acceptable, she made it cool. And now she stars in another role that is far more demanding, parenting her own quiet kids. For today's episode, Molly Ringwald, actress, writer, and singer, sat down with us at Choir Revolution's headquarters in New York's Hudson River Valley to talk about her experiences as a shy and introverted parent and performer. I, I really do feel like most of the characters that I played, uh, particularly when I was younger, were introverts. And, you know, a lot of people ask me why I think those movies touch so many people. And I think it's really because of that. I think so many people related to those characters because that's the way that they felt. I'm just going to go in, walk in, walk out, and come home. You sure? I just want to let them know that they didn't break me. Tell me, why do you think it is that either you were drawn to those roles or people were casting you in those roles? It's hard to say exactly why I was cast because I didn't audition for the movies. John Hughes plucked my headshot literally out of a stack of photos, Mm -hmm. never met me, but there was something in my face that he saw. And so he he actually wrote 16 Candles while he was looking at my my picture. Mm -hmm. John was also an introvert. Mm -hmm. You know, he felt most comfortable by himself with no one around, just with his, you know, his records, his computer. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he sort of met a kindred spirit in me. Not to get all woo-woo here, but I feel like very often you can see an introvert in their eyes. You can see something that is going on. I actually think that a lot of actors are introverts. Yes, and I want to ask you about this because I have heard this from so many actors, and whenever I tell this to people, they're always shocked to hear it. Like, How do those things possibly go together? Because you're on all the time. Yeah, I I feel that performing was an outlet for me because Mm -hmm. I, I feel like introverted people feel as much, if not more, than extroverted people. But because of the shyness and the anxiety, it's hard to get all of that creativity out. And when I was younger, I was, you know, people didn't really say introverted. They just said shy. Yeah. So I was a really shy kid. The mm-hmm. only time I didn't feel shy was when I was in front of a lot of people. And generally, if there was a light barrier, <laughs> you know, if I didn't actually have to see the faces, uh, okay. I knew they were okay. there. I felt the energy of the crowd But I didn't feel that shyness. But my parents sometimes would want me to do a little concert just in the living room in front of, you know, five people. And that to me was real torture. I felt like I couldn't really uh, remember the lines. I fumbled. I I felt awkward because that to me was it was too close. And I think it was confusing for my parents or for anyone who wanted me to do that, because 
how can you perform in front of thousands of people and yet be so uncomfortable in front of five people? And I think that that's something, that's a, it's a misconception that people continue to have around introverted people. Also something that I've noticed over the years, I feel very comfortable in front of an audience in character, mm-hmm. singing a song where I have lyrics. See about me. I'll be alone dancing. You know it, baby. Tell me your troubles and doubts. Giving me everything inside and out. But public speaking yeah, would true. make me sick to my stomach. And it's something that I've had to do quite a bit of over the years particularly when I took up music again and, you know, I started touring and performing and I really wanted to just sing the songs and that was it. You know that this is the sing-along part of the evening, right? They gave you the heads up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was told, you had to do the pattern between the songs. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I was told again and again, you know, people really are coming to see you and they want to hear what you have to say and, and, and it's part of the performance. And so I really had to get more comfortable with it. And so I feel like it's a skill that I've learned and I continue to learn. It's something that doesn't come naturally to me. Nice. You want to come on the road with us? I don't think it's an accident that you chose to spend time writing. I'm guessing that a lot of your acting comes out of your quieter or more shy or more reflective place. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's like for you? Absolutely. I think everything that I'm attracted to as a writer is the same thing that I have always been attracted to in acting, which is character and why people do what they do. And I don't think that I could have done any of that without my observational skills. I think as a kid, I was always kind of looking around and mimicking people and reading faces and doing that thing that that most writers and actors do. And it's something that I recognize in my children as well, particularly our our youngest girl. We have three kids in our family, a 12-year-old and six-year-old twins, one really shy and the other one completely extroverted. And it's really interesting to see the two of them and how they interact together and how they interact with the world. And Adele, our little girl, she is shy, she is introverted, but she's so observant and so emotionally mature. You know, of all my kids, she's the one that that walks into a room and can tell you what everyone is feeling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Where the tension is. And to me, it's like a superpower. I agree. And shyness is often correlated with all those traits because it's usually coming from a temperament that's just sensitive in general. Yeah. So it's sensitive to what other people think. It's also sensitive to just what is happening all around you and caring. Yeah. Um, it's it's actually, for me, it's it's beautiful to watch. Yeah. However, when we go out into public and people, and she's a beautiful little girl and very sensitive eyes and it's just so everyone wants to compliment her and it's very hard for her to look at the person and to accept the compliment or to engage in conversation yes until she gets to know someone and she she just literally will not look at them and walk by and and even though I was a shy introverted kid and even though I still feel those traits 
I have that reflexive, I'm a bad parent. I'm, I'm not teaching my child to have good manners. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that because so many parents <laughs> feel this way. I hear this all the time. And so what do you do with Adele? I usually make her acknowledge when somebody speaks to her. You know, I say, you don't have to spend a long time with them. You right. don't have to shake hands or curtsy or do anything, but say thank you if it's a compliment. And then when we're away from, from it, I, I talk to her about it. How did you feel when this person said this? And she just says, I'm shy. I'm shy. I try, mommy. I really try. I'm just so shy. Um, in fact, I want to ask you about that. I've noticed that you, you differentiate between shy and introverted. And what do you think? I mean, it seems to me that you, you find the word shy to be a derogatory word well, in a way. Yes and no. I, I believe the word shy is used derogatorily in this culture, but I don't think of it as something negative. Okay. So I, I, to me, it's just important to understand what the difference is just so that you know what's going on inside the child's mind. But I, I actually love shyness. I think of shyness as a kind of civilizing force in mm -hmm. a culture where everyone is otherwise too much about themselves and what they think. Whereas I, I think a shy person is kind of inherently saying, you know, I, I care so much about what you think that... I'm perhaps giving you a little bit too much power to ruin my day by thinking <laughs> badly about me, but it comes from a place of respect for other people. Yeah. So I, I think we could all use a little more of it. Yeah, actually. <laughs> I think so too. To me, the one downside of children labeling themselves as shy is that they can then start to experience it as a fixed trait that mm. they can't, that it's just who they are and they're never going to overcome it. Um, so I wonder if you ever talk to her and say, oh, you know, I used to feel that way. But now I really don't. I just gave myself a push and it was hard at the beginning and now I don't notice it. Yeah, I don't know that I have, but I think that it's a great idea. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, think, I think I have this, this thing where I try to do things that scare me deliberately because I feel like if I don't push myself to do it, I'll never do it because I find most things scary. <laughs> you know, I mean traveling I find scary, meeting new people I find scary, um, you know, speaking in front of an audience. There, there's not a lot that I don't find scary. And it's funny because my husband felt like I wasn't scared of anything. And, you know, we talked about this once and, and I said, are you kidding? I'm, I'm afraid of everything, but I, I do it. And right. I think that it's helped me over the years. You know, I, I still feel like I have an introverted nature, but I've learned certain skills that, where I can sort of uh, go in and out of it a little bit, which is actually something that I wanted to ask you. Do you feel like people can change their nature or do you feel that introverts can sort of uh, learn the skills and sort of play the part a little bit? It's a good question. I think it's much more the latter. Um, so people do exactly what you're describing. They push themselves, they acquire all kinds of skills that they wouldn't have had before. So, you know, if you think of a shy child who is clinging to their mother's knee, you don't really see grown-ups clinging to their parents' <laughs> knees. And that's because we kind of learn over time to deal. But I don't think the underlying nature changes. Mm. And that's what most people tell me when they're talking really honestly about their experiences. But at the same time, you know, you can acquire so many skills and so much greater a comfort level than you once had that it almost becomes a difference in kind mm -hmm. just because the skills can catapult you into a completely new place. Mm -hmm. 
It's the same way. It's the same thing with our kids, particularly with our twins. I feel like it's important for no matter what your personality is to to sort of exercise the muscle that you're not as comfortable with. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. And probably important for your more extroverted twin to exercise the muscle of not talking as much. (laughs) We call him filibuster. (laughs) I mean, that's actually his nickname because he just will talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And it's very charming. And people are just automatically drawn to that because he he just seems to be so comfortable. But but it's important to have a, a balance, too, because sometimes he can miss what's going on. I mean, when there, just the other day, Roman and Adele came home on the school bus and both Tanya and I were in the city and somebody was meeting our children at the school bus um, and our son got off of the bus. But his sister was still on the bus. And he had no idea. And he had no idea. (laughs) You know, his sister would never (laughs) let that happen. Never. And we thought, it's your twin sister. (laughs) How do you leave your twin on a bus? You know, and I mean, it's not his job. He's, He's six years old. You know, it was really the bus driver who needed to stop the car and go and look for the sleeping child in back. But it was it was a real eye opener to see the difference in these personalities. That's actress, writer, and singer Molly Ringwald. Today, we're exploring the differences between introversion and shyness and hearing how these traits play out in Molly's life, both as a parent and a public figure. When we return, we'll hear about Molly's extroverted introvert daughter and how a Radiolab episode helped Molly become a better parent. That's ahead, but first, a message from our sponsors. Are you ready to finally access your intuition, to dive deeper into your soul's purpose, to manifest abundance, joy, peace, and ease, and let it all be fun? Well, if so, come check out the Highest Self Podcast. It's the number one spirituality podcast, and now we're on video here on Spotify. My name is Sahara Rose. I'm here to be your spiritual bestie, and I can't wait to share my grounded approach to spirituality with you. So tune into Highest Self Podcast, and I'll see you there. Most of you listening to this podcast love to learn. That's the motivation behind the new Great Courses Plus video learning service. With the Great Courses Plus, you get unlimited access to a huge library of the Great Courses videos in subjects ranging from art to science and many more. You can watch an entire course start to finish or select the lectures from any course that you find most interesting. Exercise your artistic side with the course The Fundamentals of Photography, taught by National Geographic fellow Joel Sartori. This course will give you great advice on all aspects of photography. For a limited time, The Great Courses Plus is offering my listeners the chance to stream The Fundamentals of Photography, a $235 value, and hundreds of other courses for free. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash quiet. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash quiet. And by Little Passports. Inspire your kids to learn about the world with Little Passports. This award-winning educational subscription sends you monthly packages in the mail, each featuring a new country or world theme. Packages are addressed to your child, and they're filled with letters and souvenirs and stickers and activities and more. It's a fun way for kids to learn about geography and cultures around the globe. Quiet listeners can save 40% on their first month today with code QUIET. Learn more and take a peek inside the monthly packages at www.littlepassports.com quiet. And we're back. I'm Susan Kane, and this is Quiet, the Power of Introverts. 
Today, we're looking at the differences between shyness and introversion with acclaimed actor, writer, and singer Molly Ringwald. Molly, who is both shy and introverted, is the mother of two introverted daughters and one very extroverted son. While some shy kids are introverts, it's important to remember that not all introverts are shy. And Molly's older daughter, Matilda, is a good example of that. She's an iconoclast. She has a, she has a, a brilliant, uh, subversive sense of humor, which she's always had. Yeah. I mean, from the time that, that she could talk, she, she has a sense of humor that's sort of beyond her years. Um, and a little bit of a mischievous streak. I think that she is, I call her an extroverted introvert. Yeah. Because yeah. she she has big opinions. Right. Um, she likes to to put those opinions out there, but she also really needs time by herself to recharge. And if she doesn't get the time that she needs to recharge, it really um, it really affects her in a right. big way. I was listening <laughs> the other day to a story that you told at The Moth, which I actually want to ask you about. But first, for people who don't know, The Moth is this venue where people just get up on stage and tell a story, any story. And I can tell you that I never in my life had been inside of a principal's office. Only in a movie, in fact. There was a scene in in Pretty in Pink where I got called into the principal's office, and that was my only experience. Um, And the same with my husband. We were both such goody-two-shoes as kids. You know, and Matilda's there with her feet up on the desk, um, so it was one of those situations where at the beginning of the year, the teacher didn't understand her, didn't understand her jokes. Um, she was, she was a little bit hysterical. So, and the more that happened, the more, um, Matilda sort of felt like there was something wrong. And the more Matilda sort of acted out, mm-hmm. the more I was called in to the, <laughs> the principal's office, the more the, t- I mean, it just was this, this spiral of, uh, of misunderstandings and miscommunications. And Matilda kept getting more and more and more unhappy um, to where I, I, th- I thought, what am I going to do? I mean, I took her, I started to take her everywhere to find out what was going on. I took her to a social skills class, um, which she found sort of insulting. She told me afterwards, she really, yeah, I said, why did you resist it so much? And she says, because I have social skills. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why, why did I have to go and learn these things that I already know? Um, she, she never, ever had trouble making friends because she's funny and she's charismatic and, and um, she has an interesting mind. And I think kids were just very drawn to her. Uh, but she did have a certain amount of volatility um, if she didn't get the time that she needed on her own. So then kids would sort of get a little bit gun shy. Um, and she also just felt this sort of like the vibration of something's going on and there's too many eyes on her because that's what happens in public school when, when anything's going on. Suddenly everyone is watching you more than everyone else. And, and I think that kids feel that. And, the, and she was getting picking up the message that people thought there was something wrong yeah. with her. I felt like Alice going, you know, down the rabbit hole of, you know, what what was the best thing to do for her. Mm-hmm. What, you know, I part of me wanted to pull her out of the situation, pull her out of the school. But then I thought I, I didn't want her to feel like she couldn't grow and learn in a situation. So, um, so it was actually, 
what I did was what, what ended up working was I, I did an intervention. I, you know, she was observed in class. Um, and, and from, from the person that I spoke to, they, they said, she's incredibly bored (laughs) in this situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I had this sort of epiphany when we were driving somewhere together, I was listening to um, a podcast called Radio Lab. How exactly do you help an animal? This is an honest question. When it has to spend its entire life in a cage. Today on Radio Lab, zoos are our topic. I'm Jad Abumrad. Well, you know, I think I can take you to the very moment in modern zoo history when the balance kind of shifted. And um, and they were interviewing somebody who was uh, discussing. It was the person who was very instrumental in um, in developing the first gorilla habitats in the United States because they used to put gorillas in um, concrete uh, cages, basically, in zoos, and they were going out of their mind because they weren't in the habitat that was right for them. And as they were describing the gorilla going into the habitat for the first time that was right for him, I was looking at Matilda listening in the rearview mirror, and she was mimicking everything that this gorilla was doing. First a step, then another. And he went as far as a creek and sat down. And then he looked up. We noticed he looked up for a long time, and we looked up also. Clouds were blowing by at fairly low altitude, swallows flying overhead. There were crows in the trees. There was a wind blowing. The trees were rustling. The grass was moving. You could see the hair on his face moving. She was feeling the air in her face. She was touching. She was imagining that she was touching the grass, and I had this sort of like just a light went off in my head and I realized that I had to, if I couldn't take her out of this environment, I had to figure out a way to make this environment work for her. So that she would be in the right habitat. Yeah. Yeah. And so what ended up working for us was I had somebody come in. um, I had to clear it with the the school, but I had somebody come in uh, twice a week to pull her out of class and to read poetry um, and um, and different bits of prose, and to write her own poetry. So, so for two days out of the week, on the long days, she uh, she read different kinds of poetry. She it was just one on one. And at the end of the year, there was a, a book that she had written that was published with her art and with her poetry. Wow! Um, and that and we only did that for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she sort of built. From there, mm-hmm. she sort of, as her brain continued to develop, as she learned some of the skills that she needed to thrive, she just kept getting better and better until by the time she left the school, she um, she ran for student council and won. And this, this is a kid that, you know, had absolutely no, like her school spirit was absolutely crushed yeah, in the second yeah. grade. And it's just been getting better and better every year. So I'm so struck that the fix for her wasn't social at all. It had nothing to do with that. The fix was going to write poetry and being engaged and stimulated. Mm-hmm. And also, I think for her, it was really important being in, in a quiet space. And she is somebody that I feel like has always been better one-on-one, you know, which isn't surprising because I, I've always felt more confident one-on-one and, and same with her father. So I think it it worked for her. And you said that during this dark second grade year that the the school was actually suggesting that Matilda was a bully. (laughs) And you knew she wasn't really a bully, but that was 
how she was being characterized. Can you talk about what that meant for you personally <laughs> to hear that word applied to your child? Uh, I was bullied as, I mean, I was genuinely bullied as, uh, as a seventh grader. I had a, a girl who sort of picked me out of, uh, I don't know, I don't know how she noticed me because I felt like I was sort of shy and quiet and really didn't, you know, didn't really talk that much. But she was an older girl and she just, she picked me out and just basically terrorized me um, and, and made life very uncomfortable for me. It was aggressive and threatening and, um, and just really frightening. Um, and then I went on from there to play characters that were bullied and um and but but also were strong and persevered so for me to have a child of mine who could be perceived as a bully it just it just didn't make it just didn't make sense i also don't think that it was true when you played those roles um of these characters who were bullied but who successfully fought back was that a kind of catharsis for you since you had had this experience in your own life but maybe hadn't been able to fight back um, yeah, the, the part that comes to my mind the most is in Pretty in Pink, where I have these mean girls that are sort of, uh, torturing me in class. Where'd you get your clothes? Five and dime store? Attractive. Is there a problem, ladies? No, no. Andy, is there something going on between you and these ladies? No, not that I'm aware of. I remember even shooting that scene, how I, I could feel my cheeks getting redder and just the, the sort of the memory of, of that was so strong. I'd like to apologize on behalf of Miss Trombley and Miss Hanson. These two young ladies will be thinking of you tonight as they write a summary of the chapters that we've just covered. Great. Excuse me. Yeah. Um... There's nothing wrong with me. I mean, I'm fine. Can you just forget about the chapter? It's a terrible feeling to to be bullied in school. I mean, it's I think it's it's a terrible feeling to be bullied in life because it's not like when school ends that goes away. Um, and I do feel like introverts um, can very often be bullied more than than extroverts. Yeah, I mean, I think they're often singled out because they're more quiet and more on their own. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like. Matilda has is a little bit also like me in that she has all of this emotion um, and creativity inside of her, um, and and her journey has been a lot about finding how to get that out, and she has found that through art, mm-hmm. through writing. Um, that's been a big part of her of her um, self expression, um, and. And also acting also. I mean, she, she really, you know, she looks up to me because, you know, I'm an actress and she's a little bit frustrated that her parents won't let her be professional. Um, but even though we don't want her to be a professional child actor, um, I really think that acting is a wonderful exercise yeah. for kids um, to, to help teach them um, social interaction, to help them to... Um, to get that creativity out, um, I, I think I think it's incredibly helpful for for anyone, for public speaking, for yeah. for anything. 
Um, I just don't want her to be, to any of our children, to be professional when they're kids. Why is that after you had your own experience as a child actor? Um, because I think that statistically, putting your kids in show business, um, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem like the right thing to do. I mean, if you want to give your kids all of the advantages um, that they can have in life, my feeling is, is that talent doesn't go away. And that uh, learning other skills as a young person, along with acting, will only make you a better actor when you're older. And I just don't feel like kids need to experience that uh, business side of things Mm -hmm. and the rejection. I mean, I feel like I'm a bit of an anomaly. um, But, you know, I mean, if you look at all of the child actors out there, there aren't that many of us that are able to continue on and to sort of flourish as, as adult human beings. So what do you think it was that allowed you to be this anomaly? Uh, Well, I actually think that being an introvert helped with that because I think very often extroverts uh, crave other people and that stimulation that goes with fame, being invited to every party, um, you know, being out all the time, um, not having any moments of self-reflection. And I feel like my introverted nature... um, made me want to be more observant and made me want to sort of get out of the limelight a little bit and become a more integrated human being. Um, And I think that that sort of gave me um, a foundation and, um, and, and sort of served me well in, in the long run. Molly Ringwald, thank you so, (laughs) so much. It's really nice to talk to you. You too. And now it's that time on the show when I give you concrete tips, this time to help your shy child balance her temperament with the socially noisy world around her. But first, if you are the parent of a quiet child ages three to nine, I am so excited to tell you about a new online course we've created that I really think can change the way you parent your child. The course is beautiful, and it includes all kinds of interactive features, like, for example, a tool to help you decide when and when not to press your child out of her comfort zone and scripts for how to advocate for your child with people who say he's too shy. You'll also have the chance to interact with other parents of quiet kids. To check out the course, just visit learn.quietrev.com. And now for today's tips. Make sure your child knows the difference between feeling shy and being shy. Let them know that there's nothing wrong with feeling shy, that you felt that way plenty of times, and so have many people. But also let them know that the feeling can go away. Tell your child about the things that used to scare you, maybe calling people on the phone or saying hi to strangers that don't bother you anymore. Tell stories of how you pushed yourself through your own fears. Your child needs to see you as a role model and to know that you understand. Number two, Do encourage your child to gain the skills and competencies that she'll be proud of and enjoy, whether it's piano, basketball, learning another language, what have you. But don't push him to perform those skills in front of other people if that's not his comfort zone. Some shy kids really do find themselves through drama and performance, and that's wonderful when it happens. Others want to excel at their skills without having particularly to perform them. And still others like Molly Ringwald are comfortable with certain types of performance and not with others. It's all okay, and it's not actually that big a deal, as long as we don't turn it into one. And number three, brainstorm with your child some techniques for handling shy feelings when they come. 
For example, the next time she feels awkward at a party, she could make herself busy by helping the host to hand out the cake or participating in a game. She could find a friend that she feels comfortable with, or she could simply learn to ride out the feeling until she begins to relax and warm up. Just letting her know that these feelings are natural and can be withstood can go a long way to making them ultimately disappear. And that's it for our show today. Quiet, the Power of Introverts was produced by Carrie Hillman in partnership with Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer of Panoply. This episode was edited by Christy Miners and mixed by Jason Gambrell. Our music was composed by Alexis Quadrado. Special thanks to everyone at Quiet Revolution. If you've enjoyed listening to Quiet, the Power of Introverts, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or a comment wherever you subscribe. I know it seems like a small thing, but it's actually one of the best ways to help other people find our show. I'm Susan Kane. Thanks for listening.